Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Jason Connell. Jason is a writer, speaker, and former magician. Over the past decade, he has helped thousands of people develop authentic confidence, self-compassion, self-love, and new levels of personal integrity. He has worked with many high-profile clients, including Fortune 500 executives, professional athletes, artists, entertainers, and senior White House officials in both the Bush and Obama administrations. Jason is the founder of Ignited Leadership, a human service organization that holds training and speaking events to help today's young adults become tomorrow's visionary leaders. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and some of the work that you've been involved with and what inspired you to get into it? Sure. Yeah. So I started off with kind of a weird path. As a child, I was a professional magician. So when I was six, I was performing at my neighbor's birthday parties for 30 bucks. But by the time I was 18, when I when I was getting ready to stop, I was performing for Fortune 500s, professional sports teams, stuff like that. And while I was quote unquote successful as a magician, and I learned a lot about psychology and perception, working with individuals, working with crowds, it was never truly me. So when I finished high school and went to college, I just entirely shut down the, the magic business. And I, when I went to college, I didn't tell anybody at all about my, pra- my past as a magician. I, I used a stage name, so it was easy enough to obscure. And I spent about a year and a half at a liberal arts school in central Florida. And while it was a good school, college was absolutely not for me. So I, I, I dropped out and I didn't have any of the money from magic left over. I had spent some of it on a couple trips to Europe to visit friends that I had made, but I, I donated almost all of it. So I, I went back to college starting at square one. And when I dropped out, my, my goal was to travel, but I didn't have any money. So what I was able to do, and this sounds crazy, but you can still do it today. I have friends and mentees who have done this this year. What I was able to do was get corporations in the United States to sponsor me to travel. And the deal was pretty simple. They would cover my expenses if I was doing volunteer work in communities that the company cared about. And in exchange, I would help the company harness the PR that comes from this. So they would get for a few thousand bucks, they would get, you know, front page news stories in their local media because I was reaching out to reporters, I was writing press releases, all of that stuff. And I spent about three years traveling and volunteering before I kind of got burnt out. I, I just wanted stability in my life. I wanted relationships with people and predictability beyond, you know, three, four days in any place here or there. So I went back to school in Canada at a school in Montreal. And I graduated with a degree in political science. Now, as I was finishing my degree, different colleges and universities started asking me to speak about my experience traveling the world, volunteering, and getting someone else to pay for it. So there was already a little bit of initial interest in in, in the market for speeches from me, but I, I took that interest and worked really, really hard to build a speaking business and a couple of years in, I started getting more and more requests from the senior leadership of the universities because they would say to me, look, Jason, we struggle to get our, our students to volunteer for 10 or 20 hours in our local community. They come to your program 
And they said, then they spend the entire summer volunteering in a different country. How are you doing that? So sort of organically, I started consulting for the senior leadership of universities on different ways of connecting with their students, different ways of framing service, different ways of framing leadership. And this kind of led me to a point where I was working now, not just with the senior leadership of universities, but also Fortune 500s, the United States government, people like that. It, it was absolutely surreal. And there was this inflection point in my personal life where business was going really, really, really well. I, I, the moment in my life that I'm thinking about, I was just about to mount a 50-day tour across the United States. So a very grueling, very difficult tour. And though business was going great, my, my personal life was falling apart. A close friend who I think he was 28 when he passed had just died suddenly. Several weeks after that, I, I, I had been dating this amazing woman for two years, but she and I decided to break up. So suddenly two of the major things in my life, a, a friend and a girlfriend that I'd been with for years are gone. And as that's happening, my best friend who I had been living with for years, who I'm very, very close to, been friends for a decade, uh, he and I had been living together, but we, we were moving out. So suddenly my personal life was just kind of collapsing, even though my professional life was, was flourishing. And I was on stage, I was five or 10 dates into the tour, so still very early and just sort of burnt out. And the tour was on modern leadership and, and mental frames and, and ways of connecting with the people and connecting with yourself, the, the people that you serve. And I was supposed to talk about that, but I got on stage and at this point, the, the tour is largely for like executives, for entrepreneurs, for people who are sort of at the front of their at the front of their work, at the front of the, the the communities that they exist in, all that stuff. And instead of talking about leadership, I got really, really, really honest with myself and the audience. And this, it, it, in hindsight, it seems like the type of thing that only happens in movies. But I, I told them, I was like, "Look, you want me to talk about leadership." But none of this stuff matters. What really matters is our relationship to ourselves. And most of us, if we're being completely honest, have these deeply, deeply, deeply fractured relationships to ourselves. And I know this not only from personal conversations with people like you around the country and around the world, but I know this from my own experience. I, I am living the life that many of you think you want. It, you know, at this point, I was being flown around first class and my talks were selling out and all of that stuff. But I, I, I was miserable because I just so thoroughly neglected the, the truth and the integrity of my relationship to myself. And that was sort of this inflection point because it, it didn't seem like a risk. I, I really didn't care. I was so burnt out when I gave that speech. But it was a huge inflection point for me because I hit on this public secret that many, many, many people in modernity are wrestling with, even still today. That all happened five, six years ago. And that is that we struggle with our relationships to ourselves. We struggle with isolation. We struggle with the fact that with success, that does not mean that we get happiness. Uh, happiness and success and isolation and success and all these things are, are complicated, complicated issues that are not solved with status or money or anything like that. So that, that's kind of a long answer, but it started with my work as a child entertainer and being comfortable on stage. And then it kind of ended one night when I, it brought me up to here one night when I got really honest with myself and, and with <laughs> whatever audience happened to be in front of me that evening. How did the audience react? Oh, it was, it was crazy. So I, when I was giving leadership speeches that were more just sort of like traditional leadership, I would measure my success and whether or not I, I got a standing ovation. 
And, you know, at that point in my career, I got few standing ovations, 10, 20% of the time, maybe. And again, I, I have a lot of training on stage. Then that speech, I, I looked out across the audience. I, I really like silence on stage. I really like silence in, in personal relationships. And I was being quiet on stage, 10, 20 seconds. And I looked out at the audience. It was a like medium-sized audience, four or 500 people. And I noticed people were crying. And I had never evoked tears from my audience before. So it really felt like a, a new level of, of connection. And I think some people were fairly uncomfortable, but I think a, a lot of other people felt seen and heard for the first time in their life. They felt connected because they could identify and they felt like they're going to the same things that you were talking about. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. I, I think that I went first and opened up with my struggles, which gave them permission to own their struggles too. I mean, maybe that's something you can expand on, right? Because I think for a lot of people, it's really, and, and this includes myself, sometimes I'm better at it than other times, but the idea of opening up first and taking that risk, it feels incredibly vulnerable. So if somebody's not used to that, how, or, and, and they want to have stronger connections, can you talk about why that's important and then what they can do to do that more consistently and to do that more effectively? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate your transparency, too. I mean, I have struggled with vulnerability quite a bit. And it's it's kind of a funny thing because the more you like someone or love someone, the riskier vulnerability often feels for people. And what I've noticed a lot of people, especially guys, and I, I, I this is the pot calling the kettle black. I struggled with this for years. What a lot of people have gotten good at is they will recite facts about their life. So they create the sensation of being open or the illusion of being open uh, without ever actually truly being open because they're not emotionally there. So I think for people that wanna form deeper relationships with themselves, with other people, personally, professionally, romantically, you really do have to take the risk of opening up. Now, the other trend that I see, I, I think this has a lot to do with like, the day and age of blogs and podcasts is people opening up way too quickly and, and way too much. The way I think about it, if I meet somebody who I really, really like and want to get to know better, I will usually open up first and I'll, but I'll open up with something gentle, something that I'm comfortable with. And if they treat me respectfully, they reciprocate by opening up a little bit more themselves and sharing themselves. Then further down the line, I'll, I'll open up more and share more. Because in this way, what you're doing is you're, you're kind of slowly revealing your true self to one another or your true selves to one another while also doing it in a way that feels safe, controlled, protected, et cetera. So I, I don't know if that answered your question, but I think it's kind of like a thoughtful, emotionally vulnerable thing. The, the other thing I'd add is that if your emotion's not there, if you're telling somebody that you have just had your heart ripped out of your chest because you and your your ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend just broke up, but you're just saying the words and you're not allowing yourself to to feel that pain of, of rejection and two souls separating. It's not real, it's, it's not meaningful vulnerability. You kinda, you, you gotta show up both in word and emotion and, and really sit in that uncomfortable space. Scary as hell to do, but it forms deep relationships with people that you care about. I, it made me think of two examples. One of them is a personal example where 
I was at a place where I had just ended a long-term relationship and I came across what was one of the most, arguably the most incredible human being I've ever, ever met. I dated her and I didn't think I was ready for that relationship and I wasn't. And I wasn't ready to open up because I hadn't, hadn't given myself the opportunity to fully heal from the previous one. And even though I knew logically that this person was an arguably the best human being I've ever met in my life and would be a wonderful uh, wife, a wonderful partner. I just, I was closing off. And so I, even though I know these things, I, like I, I teach them, I've studied them in practice. Sometimes they're hard. And as a general rule, I am a person who can do what I preach. But after going through a trauma, going through a couple of traumas, different things, the relationship had ended, a couple really important people in my life had passed away. Like there, there's a series of things that happened. I was not in an emotional place where I was ready to open up to another person. And, and I'm, I'm sharing the story because if you're, if you're listening to this, I want you to understand that um, it happens to everybody. <laughs> and, and, th- and the first step is becoming aware or cognizant that you're doing this. And I'm going to use one other example before I go to the, the contrasting example that I want to talk about. I had a client recently who signed up for one of my classes and Generally, the people coming to our classes are sort of on one of two spectrums. They're either trying to figure out how to express themselves and their sexuality and develop confidence. And they're on the, what I described, the sort of the come up and are learning to sort of connect. They're like, oftentimes it's some of our younger clients, or, but they're learning to develop confidence and express themselves. But it could also be a guy in his 40s or 50s or a woman in her 30s. People hit these different stages at different times in their life. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, we get guys who come off as so, so alpha that they're not really connecting with anybody. And I had a guy who signed up for my class and he goes, it's funny because these two groups generally tend to resent each other, right? The, 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 the <laughs> I can the, see that. Yeah. The, the, the first group is like, those guys are fucking assholes. Like, why do women like guys who are assholes? I don't really understand. And then the, the more aggressive guys are like, these guys are pussies. They're weak. I don't, I'm not like them. Why am I in this class? Right. And, uh, and so this guy who signed up for the class, everybody else was more emotionally open. Right. And a lot of them were really competent and confident in other aspects of their life. But in our class, they felt vulnerable, but this guy didn't really want to open up. And so we started chatting and, I just, I had to tell him, I said, look, man, like the reason why you're in that class, this class is because you have a problem and you want help with, right? I've literally worked with thousands of people and I can see like, you're not connecting with anybody. You're not, you're not making yourself vulnerable. So that's why he goes, when I was younger, I'd go on lots of dates and they went well. And I moved back. He was living, uh, out of state for a while and moved back to New York and was living with a girl and thought they were going to have a family. The relationship didn't work out. And he just wanted to get out there and get laid basically. And, but he tried to go on a few dates and every time he'd go on a date, the girl would never call him back and he couldn't figure out what was going wrong. And what he was doing wrong is he was not opening up emotionally at all. He was totally closed down. And so, but in contrast, the other example he used, it made me think of one of my best friends in the world. And he was, a guy who'd slept with over a hundred women didn't emotionally connect to anybody. And a lot of this he realized later on was tied to things that happened when he was growing up, his father abandoning the family and other early traumas. And so he's gotten to a point where he just literally focused. He didn't date for three years and just focused on himself 
start got into meditation, mindfulness, breathing, like all kinds of, for some of our audience stuff that they're already into, but for other people, a kind of new age. And, and so he started doing these things and became really emotionally open and connected. And in the process, he started dating again. Cause I keep telling him like, if you want to meet somebody, he's never had a girlfriend. He's approaching 40 years old. He slept with a lot of women, but he's never had a, had a relationship. And I said, you need to get into a relationship. It doesn't even need to be the perfect one. You just need to start connecting with people so that you can learn how, what it means to be a partner to somebody. And he, so he's gone out and now like the super open version of him, he goes, the last two times he's met girls, he ended up sleeping with them that night. And he goes, it was the best sex ever. I was so open and connected, but he's basically freaking the girls out. And, <laughs> and, and so he's like, what of the last girl he called me about? He's just like, I don't understand why neither of these girls are calling me back. Like I was so open and connected and I was making eye contact and I was matching my breathing to their breathing. And, and, and the second girl, he goes, she kept telling me like, I'm not good for you. I messed up. Like all these anxieties that she was going through were coming up, but he, he she opened up too fast. So I didn't mean to go off on, on this long tangent, but. I think it directly connects to the things that you're talking about and people listening to this, I think will also connect. It's, I wanted to touch on one thing that you had said from your story. I think just because I can relate to it. It, it, It's funny, the process of, I'm sorry to hear, by the way, that you had also sort of concurrently gone through breakup and, and lost a couple important people in your life. I wouldn't wish that upon myself, wouldn't wish it upon you, but we, we share this sort of step in our paths together. And with that type of tragedy or trauma was the word you used. And I think that was a very apt word. There is a way of working with that where we end up being better for it. I mean, one of the lessons that I took from that ex- like series of events in my life was actually something you echoed. I, I had been perhaps a blend of the the different types of guys that you were discussing where when I was younger, I, I was charismatic and I, I could connect with people, but I wouldn't open up. Uh, or when I did open up, it was it was sort of like an inappropriate amount all at once. And the the two year relationship, it, it, the woman that I, I, I had been with, just a spectacular woman. And when I look back at why that relationship failed, in truth, I don't think of it as a failure because I learned quite a bit from her. But anyways, when I think about why it failed, it. I think it had to do with me not knowing how to open up and and connect with people. And that series of events in my life sort of led to a more authentic sense of like, okay, here's how you connect with the people you want to connect with. Here's how you set boundaries, the people you don't want to connect with, et cetera. So I I think I just want to express a note of gratitude for you sharing your story. It's so unusual to hear another guy with such similar steps on his path and such similar conclusions. So thanks, brother. There's a a few things that I want to sort of touch on that you made me think about. One is I want people to, who are listening to this to understand that some level of trauma in your life is normal. Like people are going to die. You're going to have disappointments. They, like you're not always going to be happy with your circumstances. Uh, you're going to get sick and hurt. Like this is normal. It's part of the journey. It's part of life. And so well, one of the challenges of life is understanding that these things are going to come up, but You just have to work through them. It's part of the journey. And so although we share these things and some of the people listening to this might share similar experiences, some of them might not have come across these experiences, but they will. 
And I mean, one of the reasons I'm sharing some of this stuff is because what I want people to understand is that life is not always roses and flowers and chocolate. <laughs> it's like <laughs> shit is going to go bad. And, and when it does, it's about how do I move forward? How do I heal? How, how do I recognize that I'm off and how do I self-correct? Or how do I see signs from the world around me that it's time to self-correct? So I just think I think that's a very important point to bring up. Um, something else that came to mind is I was thinking about what you said about how uh, early on some of the things that you would do. I came from a pretty healthy family and not everybody's listening to this is going to be able to identify that. That's not going to be their background. But that created a space where I felt like I was really loved growing up. Then some things happened that made life more complicated. I got kicked out at 18 and like other shit that sort of the protected bubble of adolescence like sort of popped and life got infinitely more complicated. But in my early relationships, I was also super open. I remember writing like love letters to girls I just first met and had never kissed and shit like that. (laughs) And just like it not going very well because I had gone from an environment where I felt safe family life felt safe opening up emotionally and I went into the regular world where yeah you have to do that incrementally I didn't know how to do that and then what the consequence of that was I started closing down incrementally and at some point I had to become aware that I had done this and start to work on the process of opening back up and I'll say it's a constant struggle because there's times where like I'm really open and then there's times where shit will go sideways and I realize I have to open back up again because I I I'm starting to close up at least in my I found it's instinctive to start closing up when we feel like uh, we're stressed or life isn't going the way that or having traumas or things are happening that we feel like we need to protect ourselves we start to shut down and and it's important that you recognize I, I found it's important that I recognize that I'm doing that and, and course correct. So I, I'm using this as a model, not that I feel like I'm the model for all people, but like uh, I just want the guys who are listening to this to know by listening to you or listening to me that it's okay to be aware of these feelings. And this is normal. Yeah. It, it, there's In part, it's an internal struggle. It's really hard, but we also have these wild cultural elements working against us having healthy relationships to ourselves and to others right now. I mean, on one hand, there's this huge myth. It, 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 it drives me insane. And I fall prey to it periodically too, that it's possible to be happy 24 seven or that it's desirable to be happy 24 seven. Neither one is, is a reality. So what happens is we often either lie to ourselves or lie to other people when we're not feeling well, or at worst, we sort of double down and we feel more like shit for feeling like shit because there's something wrong. So that's cultural element number one, this this myth of, of perpetual happiness. And the cultural element number two, you know, my instinct as a guy, and I heard you echoing some of this, when things are really bad, when my life is really dark, my instinct is to, to turtle and, and to become a hermit and let the darkness sort of pass in, in private and in isolation which only amplifies the fucking darkness. It only amplifies the trauma and the, the, the struggle. But as guys, we're not taught to reach out, to call a friend, to say, hey, we're struggling, can I grab a beer or can I talk to you or whatever. So it, it's often considered a sign of weakness, which is ironic 
because opening up is, is among the most courageous thing most people will ever do. And that vulnerability, that honesty, that openness, that integrity is generally what leads to authentic confidence. I want to ask you a bunch. Of, we have several questions that I want to ask you. One of the questions, and it ties into a lot of the things that we've already begun talking about. Can you describe what it means to be authentically confident? Because I know that that word gets thrown out a lot. Like uh, I'm, I'm hearing it all, all the time. People are like, oh, I want authenticity. I want authenticity. But what does it mean to be authentically confident? And if somebody's listening to this and they want to cultivate it, how do they do that? Yeah, great question. So I, I think we start by defining our terms here. So often when people think of confidence, they make two assumptions. One, they assume that confidence is this sort of bulletproof feeling. They can walk into their boss's office and ask for a raise without any sort of anxiety or self-doubt. They can approach a beautiful woman or a handsome guy and say, hey, I want to talk to you. You seem so attractive. Are you single? Can I get your number? Whatever. They think they can hop out of a plane without any anxiety because they, they know that, you know, the parachute will work. That's just not the case. I, I mean, confidence is not the situation of being bulletproof. Confidence is the situation of allowing your excitement, your passion to overwhelm your fear and your stress and your anxiety. It is like a discrete, trainable skill. But once you develop it, it's not as though you're going to be bulletproof. Now, there will come a day when the stuff that used to make you very, very nervous or anxious does not make you anxious anymore. And you will feel this sort of sense of calm amidst the storm. But especially in the beginning, it's this battle of like, can you generate enough excitement, passion, anticipation in your body, in your mind, so that it overwhelms the fear and the, the, the stress. So that's the first misconception. Your confidence is the ability to let your passion overwhelm your fear. Really important thing to keep in mind. The other thing, people think that once they achieve quote unquote true or authentic confidence, that it's a steady state. You'll never be nervous when you walk into your boss's office again. You'll never be nervous when you go on a date again. That's just not the case. Confidence, like any other emotion, can be fleeting, you know, depending on something as arbitrary as like, if you woke up on the right or the wrong side of the bed, some days you're going to feel wildly confident and vivacious and alive. Other days, stuff that shouldn't be intimidating to you is intimidating to you. And this is really a chance to practice self-love and self-compassion and being gentle with yourself and, and treating yourself the way that you hope your best friend treats him or herself. And the sort of beautiful thing about this, and, and this is perhaps where we start to approach the, the conversation around authenticity, is the more gentle and aware and kind and loving towards yourself that you are, the more you're going to grow your actual confidence. It, it, it's this weird, again, misperception. People think you need to be hard on yourself to, to generate and develop confidence. No, no, it's, it's actually the exact opposite. You got to be aware. You got to be kind to yourself. Now, there is a distinction that I, I want to make here that a meditation teacher pointed out. Oftentimes, the kindest thing you can do for yourself is not the easiest thing to do. We, we often associate kindness with easiness. That's not true. You know, maybe the kindest thing you can do for yourself is set the alarm an hour earlier, be a little bit low on sleep and go to the gym and put yourself in the sort of like 
moderate but delightful physical pain of working out. So it is important when you think about your relationship to yourself, your relationship's confidence, uh, that you understand kind and easy are two different things. It sounds part of what you're talking about is this acceptance of yourself. A hundred percent. I think a lot of times when people are thinking about confidence and, and developing attributes of themselves, they approach it with this fake it till you make it thing, which I, I think is total bullshit. I know it's really common advice, but the reason it's bullshit is when you fake it till you make it, what you're doing is you're sending yourself the message, who I am in this moment is not good enough for whatever, love, connection, comfort, praise, compliments, attention. And that is a really, really, really toxic message to send to yourself. A much better, and that, that will be subversive. That will start to unravel your, your well-being. Uh, a, a much better message to send yourself is to realize like, hey, you know, I am really nervous right now about going on this date. However, I'm not going to let the nerves prevent me from actually going out and meeting this person. I'm not going to stay at home. I'm going to face my fear. If needed, I'll break it down into little steps. A huge trick people work in confidence is break it down into baby steps. You don't have to jump out of the plane all at once. You can slowly learn about skydiving. You can go up somewhere high. You can go on a plane. You can watch someone skydive. Then you can skydive. So if, 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 if you're getting destroyed by stress or anxiety, one, consider talking to a professional. Two, break it down into small chunks and develop your confidence that way. But in lying to yourself and saying, I'm not anxious, I'm not afraid, when you really are anxious or afraid, you are sending yourself this sort of subversive and toxic message that you're not all right as you are. The, the, the true trick is to shine a bright light on yourself, see who you truly are, see the lies you've been telling yourself, and then accept that stuff instead of fighting against it and work to build something better. I think this is great. I think you have this is an important message that you're talking about. You mentioned this idea of allowing your passion to overwhelm your fears. Can you talk more about that? How how does somebody do that? That's a great question. And it, I'm glad you called it back because the tendency in this space is to just say something like that and not explain how to do it. So there's a couple different ways. One is to break it down into small steps. Let's just say that you are dying to start a business and you are afraid of quitting your job. You're afraid of putting yourself out there. You're afraid of rejection, etc. The easiest way to start to let your passions overwhelm your fear with starting a business, but this would work with anything, again, is to move slowly. When we think about changing our lives, we tend to think of it as a switch gets flipped. And suddenly a dark room is filled with light and everything's perfect. Much, much, much better way of changing our lives is to just slowly but surely move the needle. So maybe before you quit your job, you set up a website. Maybe before you quit your job, you learn how to be a good salesman, good saleswoman. Maybe you work on getting your first client. So this way you're slowly growing your passion of starting a business or of having a side hustle. And over time, you can start to prove to yourself, hey, I have this fear of financial ruin for my business. I have this fear of being rejected, but it doesn't map to reality. You can almost work with reality testing for yourself. So that's one way of doing it, moving slowly. The other way, what I, I personally tend to do is I generate as much positive emotion in myself or I focus as much on the positive emotion in myself as I possibly can. I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, but there's an Anthony Bourdain quote 
that goes something along the lines of, you know, inside of me, there's a guy who just wants to smoke weed and watch old movies every day. And to some degree, my life is defined by my ability to, to fight against that guy. I really, really, really love that quote. And let's say that somebody's attempting to work on their confidence or their dating life or their physical health. You know, a great thing to do is feel the pain of being less confident than you are or to feel the pain of being alone or to feel the pain of being out of shape. So often when we're dissatisfied with our lives, we put up barriers. We watch TV, we drink alcohol, we smoke weed, we do drugs, we stay wicked busy, we never sit in silence, whatever. All those things are just tools to avoid the fucking pain. And I get it. I don't like pain either. But when you work with it correctly, pain can have this cleansing effect on you, both emotionally and with your soul. And again, this is a skill, working with the pain correctly. But you, 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 you allow the pain of whatever is causing you trouble to sort of take over. By the way, if it gets really dark, please call a friend. Please call a professional. But you allow it to take over and you have so much discomfort that suddenly facing your fears becomes more appealing than being owned by your fear. And the other side of this coin, this sort of yin to the yang, is also when you are working on your life, your confidence, your business, your relationships, whatever, imagine how beautiful it's going to be when you get it right. And you can even sit with that feeling and start sort of thanking yourself. And if I don't want to get too woo here, but thanking the universe for the future that you're creating. So simultaneously, you're feeling the pain and letting that motivate you to create something better. And by sitting with this gratitude for yourself and, and for the life that you're pulling into the present from the future by creating something better, you're feeling this excitement for it too, and you're sort of energizing yourself up. So when I talk about letting your passion overwhelm your fear, there's the mechanical like baby step way, and then there's the emotional or spiritual like, yeah, be a fucking warrior, man. Feel the goddamn fear. Feel the fucking pain. Lean into that. Let it wreck you so that you can come back stronger, braver, more confident, more courageous. I think this is absolutely awesome. It made me think of a couple of things. One is I know in my life, one of the things that I have a tendency to do and I have to fight against is I will use humor to disconnect from people. And so you can use humor to connect with people and you can use humor to disconnect with people. And I've also noticed a, a few other people, mostly comedians who would do this, but I, I know I, I'm aware of it and it's something that like I have to fight against. If I notice that I'm doing it, I have to self-correct. So if you're listening to this, you're going to find your own tendencies. And if you're actually being aware, and again, it's like as Bourdain said in the example that you used, and, and he sort of lost that fight, right? Um, it's like we're going to have our, our own internal struggles. The second thing I thought about was as an athlete growing up, sometimes I would hurt myself, right? Like I would hurt my knee. And when I hurt my knee, I knew that my knee needed care, right? It needed to be, I needed to wrap it up or I needed to ice it or I needed to put heat on it or whatever. But when there's a physical wound, the pain is super obvious and we know that we should treat it. But as a human being, emotional wounds like that pain is a sign that i need to take care of this thing but when we have emotional wounds especially as men it can be harder for us to admit that we have this pain and that behind this pain there's something that we need to take care of yeah it, it, it's crazy you know if you fell and broke your arm and you called up your friends and you're like hey what should i do all of them would say go to the 
fucking ER, man. Go get this. But if, if you if you fell into a depression or a trauma from something that had happened in the past, started to own you, and you called your friend and said, what should I do? They'd say, oh, well, drink some orange juice and go for a run and realize that people in, in sub-Saharan Africa have it worse than you. And while that's benevolent advice, it's exactly wrong. What you need to do is go heal. There's a lot of stigma in our society around men opening up emotionally and around therapy. And, but you can tell by the conversations you're having with yourself. I used the example recently and it's coming up again. I, I've been coaching a guy and a woman went to touch him on a date and he flinched. And she apologized and he realized it was a consequence of being hit as a kid by his mom. And, and it sort of percolated into his current date and like that was a clear sign when she apologized because she didn't really do anything wrong uh that's normal dating behavior that there was a trauma and that he needed to go back and deal with it so and then he talked to his sister about it and it turned out she had similar sort of instincts uh, around physical contact with other people and it's tied to the, both agreed it was tied to the same thing so of course and, and the funny thing with this type of emotional scar is we tend to think that it's our fault and that like we should just be better and not flinch when someone who might love us goes to touch us. But that, I, I mean, that's very, very, very cruel with mental and emotional health. It, it tends not to be our fault. We, we actually tend to be victims of other people's bad mental and emotional health. The catch is it is our responsibility to fix these things and to heal these wounds. And sometimes you're not going to fix the relationship, right? Sometimes you're just going to have to come to grips with what happened. And even if you don't necessarily mend the relationship, you have to come to some level of forgiveness. Yeah, there's there's this it, with some relationships and the family relationship's a tricky one because it's it's largely the only one you're not opting into. Even if you're estranged from your family, that's an active choice that you've made. With your buddies and acquaintances, it becomes sort of a passive choice whether to hang out or not. If they fade away or if you're hanging out, it's active. You've called them. You're opting in. Family's not like that. And I, I think one thing some people struggle with and when I was more involved in, in leadership coaching and leadership development one-on-one -on -one, is the acceptance of like sometimes in life there's going to be tension. We can't perfectly heal. We can't have perfect relationships. And learning to exist fluidly with that tension is difficult but very valuable. How does somebody do that? I think it's acceptance, man. I mean, that's something that I struggle with personally. There's a couple elements in my life and, and some of my relationships that don't behave how I want them to. I've tried very difficult, very sincerely to get them to behave how I want them to. What I will tell you is that like, I, I actually just had some of that tension dissolve while, this sounds cliche, while I was on a silent retreat last week. And, and there's something about forgiveness. But usually when we do, when we work on forgiveness, we just like write a forgiveness letter or we say you are forgiven while still holding on to that emotional pain, the scar. I think that you need to heal under the guidance of somebody who's qualified to do this. I think it can take years. And then I think eventually with the right sort of awareness and compassion towards yourself and, and the other person that may have hurt you, as well as the confidence of like, no, I can take care of myself. I can protect my inner child in a way that the inner child was never protected before. I think you can start to dissolve that. So it's a combination of like, yeah, maybe hard work will do it versus accepting like, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to live a messy human life and I'm going to be authentic about it. And that I think the acceptance is the first step. Yeah, I think it sort of shifts to the next question and we, maybe we've already begun to touch on it. But the question that I had was discuss the importance of self-love and self-compassion. And for those who are very judgmental, 
and they beat themselves up, how does that undermine them? And what can they do to start changing the way that they're treating themselves? Good question. And this is kind of a fun one. So we'll start with why this might matter. I, I mean, in this world, it's actually kind of simple. All we've really got are our minds and our hearts. And if you, if you believe in a God that's involved with your life, you've, you've got that relationship to, to God as well. Everything else flows from that. Like your relationship to your mind, your relationship to your heart, that is going to inform every single fucking thing that you experience as a human. And the crazy part is that most of us never had any training at all in how our minds work and how our hearts work. Now, the unfortunate part here is that for the most part, our minds are set up to notice the negative and to amplify the negative. In psychology, this is called the negativity bias. Served us really, really, really well a million years ago when we were hunter-gatherers because if a pig that could, if we're out on the hunt and a wild boar that could feed our tribe or our community for a couple weeks crosses our path, and a venomous snake also at the same time crosses our path. The people that ignored the snake, the negative stimuli, the bad thing, and went for the boar would eventually die. They'd fall victim to the snake. People that exaggerated the, the threat of the snake and killed the snake stayed alive. So at a base level, most of our minds, and, and unfortunately, if we had any sort of trauma, and I think most of us do, uh, our hearts are kind of working against us. And People have started to tell themselves, especially in the world of entrepreneurship and the world of like ambition, they've told themselves, you know, being hard on myself is good. Being underslept is good. It's going to get me further. No, it's, it, it's not. It, it's going to unravel you. You will physically and emotionally collapse. And even if you don't, because some people seem to be wired emotionally and biologically so that you don't collapse under neglect, even if they, you don't collapse, your experience of life which again is, is pretty much all we've got is the experience of life. Uh, it, it is going to be so much crappier than it has to be. So the kind of foundation here, oh, I should add also, generally what happens is success flows from happiness. We think that we achieve success and then we become happy. In general, what happens is we become happy and content with our day to day. We're more emboldened to take bigger risks and the, the success of that risks matters less to us. So it, 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 most of us have the script flipped. So starting with a, a layer of a solid relationship to yourself and then growing from there will create a life that you enjoy more. It'll draw better people into your life and it will set you up for success, however you kind of define that word, in a more effective, sustainable way. So that's step one. That's why this stuff might matter and how people are undermining themselves by ignoring their relationship to themselves. Improving that relationship with yourself is really kind of fun and it happens on two planes. So one thing that people often fail to understand about motivation and behavior change is the sequence in which it works. We tend to believe that we have a feeling inside of us and that motivates our behavior. And that is one way that human behavior works. It's one way motivation works. What we tend to miss is that you can also use your actions to manipulate or motivate your feelings. So a simple example, somebody trying to get in shape, uh, they wake up at 7 a.m. and they say to themselves, God, you know, I don't feel like going to the gym today, so I'm not going to do it. A much better move is to make a simple agreement with yourself. Okay, I'm going to go to the gym and just do three really like bar only lightweight reps of a bench press or whatever. And if at the end of those three reps, I still don't feel motivated, I can go back home and watch YouTube. What will happen is the motivation will follow. 
So when you improve your relationship to yourself, you want to work both inner and outer. Most people, especially guys, find it easier to begin with the outer. And what I recommend is to take yourself on a date. You know, treat yourself the way that you hope your best friend is treating him or herself. And do this, you know, once a week. So once a week, do something totally just to delight you. You can go see a movie on your own. You can go wander through a used bookstore. You can listen to podcasts. You can like eat an entire pizza if, if that's going to make you happy, whatever. But by starting to signal to yourself that you're a high quality person who's deserving of a couple indulgences once a week or so, you're going to start to change that inner narrative and, and, and the way that motivation will follow getting out of bed and going to the gym motivation in the sense of like, hey, I'm a person of worth, I'm, I'm worthy of nice things, will begin to follow. And then there's also uh, sort of the basics, but I think starting with an indulgent date with yourself is, is the most exciting. But sleeping well, having a good diet, seeing your friends routinely, that's a huge win for men. Many men, and I fall prey to this very often, exist in way more isolation than is healthy. And, and a lot of times the trick is to make the first move, pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm organizing a guy's night, we're going to go watch the the, the nationals play baseball, which is going to sh sit in the, uh, the cheap seats. It's eight bucks. You want to come? People will say yes to that because so many people are quietly lonely as well. So that's all the external stuff. You also want to do the internal work. Now, the internal work, uh, people don't like hearing this, is generally best done with someone else. This can be a very gifted coach, a very gifted mentor, a very gifted psychotherapist. But generally, if we, if we are disliking ourselves or struggling with our relationship to ourselves, which by the way, if you have a bad relationship to yourself, you're going to struggle to form good relationships to other people, personally, professionally, romantically. Generally, there's some sort of unaddressed scar, some sort of unaddressed trauma. You can try meditation. You can try journaling. But in general, you, you know, I'm a big fan of opening up vulnerably and taking risks with your friends. I'm a big fan of psychotherapy. And your friends, your own personal practice of journal and meditation, your own therapist is going to help you identify the patterns. So a pattern in my life, I, I used to have trouble with intimacy with, with women in my romantic relationships. And I also used to have trouble with money. No, no matter how much money I had, I was sure that I was going to go broke, even though that you know never really happened for me. And once I identified this pattern, I was able to start digging down, you know, why, why do I have problems with my relationship to intimacy? Why do I have problems with my, my relationship to money? And then once you start to see the genesis of the problem, for some people, raw awareness is enough. For other people, sort of uh, going through a, a, a process of healing, whether this is with a therapist, with a friend, with psychedelics, whatever. And I, I don't have a lot of experience with psychedelics, but I've heard from friends very, very good things. Uh, then you can start to really heal the relationship to yourself. And by working on the inner plane and the outer plane simultaneously, it, it's kind of like going uh, the caterpillar going into a chrysalis, to use a very overused anal analogy, uh, and then emerging as a butterfly, sort of totally transformed, more capable entity. So that's a long answer to an otherwise simple question. I think it's a great answer for people listening to this. It's nice because it gives them like a little bit of a roadmap, right? If they're feeling lost, because I think as, as men, one of the challenges is we're conditioned to sort of suppress in a lot of cases, suppress our emotions. And I don't know if this is more of a modern thing or it's something that um, societies have always done, but it's definitely been, I think, perpetuated by modern media, right? This idea where men just sort of suppress their emotions and just like fight through it and, uh, and then they survive. But sometimes you do that. And then at the end of the journey, you might have uh, 
won the award or you might have accomplished the task, but then you have to deal with all this shit. <laughs> it still <laughs> yeah. come it still comes up. What a friend of mine is a psychologist, he's a former client of mine, used to say he's like, what we suppress gets addressed. Yeah, I love that. And I to make this easy for for listeners, even though it's gonna make people uncomfortable, it's pretty much guaranteed that if you are like surrounding yourself with busyness or meaningless sex or drugs or junk internet or you're always sort of vapid, it's pretty much guaranteed you're suppressing something and that you need to like, you need to address that. The one I see the most among men is just like always doing something. And when you're not doing something, you, you know, you're not out with friends, you're not at a party, you're not working, you're not at the gym. Uh, and when you're not doing something, you're just like zoning out, watching Game of Thrones for three hours and maybe you're stoned while you're doing it. And even then you're still doing something. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like if you can't sit with yourself and your reality and like sit down, have a cup of coffee, journal, meditate, like there's something going on now. What's the avoidance, right? It's like the constant busyness is the avoidance. It's like an attempt to avoid that con that conversation that happens in your head because I think in human beings, we can end up in sort of like this like recycled state where I'm more picturing like a washing machine, but we have some type of a trauma or perception of trauma and we think about it over and over and over and over and we just can't work our way out of it. And so it's easy to make yourself so busy that you don't have to address it. And it happened at different times in my life. And again, the first step is like become aware of that I'm doing it, try to understand why it's happening, try to work through the issue. And, and, I, and I like what you said about talking i mean whether you're talking to a therapist or talking to your friends about it sometimes therapists are better suited to help a person work through something but sometimes uh the right coach or even your friends just knowing that you have one you can talk about these things you can open up about them and people aren't going to judge you the way that you might perceive that they're going to judge you or that you're just not alone your friends are like you think your friends are going to judge you they don't judge you and, and it turns out they have your back right like that that might not solve the problem but it can move a person a lot closer towards healing and addressing it. And it, it certainly helps. And a lot of times, in addition to having your back, if they're a good friend and they and you open up sincerely, you might be surprised. A lot of us are struggling with shit we just don't talk about. There's a good chance they can relate too. For sure. And that just sort of builds your connection. Right? I, earlier on, you talked about this. You talked about uh, anxiety about approaching people and I've been teaching people to do it for a decade and and sometimes I get nervous, right? It doesn't mean that I, I'm always nervous. I probably have, I'm going to guess I probably have a lot less anxiety than a lot of people, but there are moments that I'm, I'm in a social situation and I feel nervous and, and I tell clients, I'm like, that's normal. You can reframe that. You think about like when I'm nervous, it just means I'm excited or what, whatever, but just understand it's normal. It's okay. Like if you, you're not feeling anything, then that's not normal. That means something's off, but it is normal to feel nervous. The question is whether or not you can take that energy and use it towards something useful or work through it to get what you want or what you need. In this case, like go out in a social situation, you feel nervous, you're feeling anxiety, you're wondering whether people are judging you or whether you fit in or whether they're going to accept you and you fight past that and, and you meet people and you connect with them anyway because everyone's going through their own version of that. Yeah. And, and to really drill down and get a little bit into like how the mind works in nervousness around approaching someone or sort of any sort of nervousness or anxiety is an interesting case. What happens with the mind, as far as I can tell, is we have these physical symptoms. Let's say you're about to give a speech or you're about to approach someone you find attractive. 
uh, heart rate speeds up, your hands get sweaty, maybe you shake a little bit. Those are physical symptoms. Those things are 100% happening. Then the mind kicks in. Our mind, I think, to hold reality together needs narrative. And we start telling ourselves these stories. You know, I'm nervous because my boss is going to fire me when I ask for a raise. This woman's going to laugh in my face, which, by the way, being rejected by someone you admire is one of many men's greatest fears in this world. And that story is really, really, really compelling. You know, most of us don't even understand that our, our, our mind is sort of telling us stories about ourselves in the world all the time that are not true. But if you can put a little bit of gap between, okay, you know what, my hand's shaking, uh, I am sweating a little bit more, my heart's racing a little bit, and the story you tell yourself about those symptoms, she is going to reject me, everybody will laugh, my boss will fire me. Holy shit, that's, that little gap of space is enough to move and enough to find a certain amount of freedom within. One of the things that I've come to realize in my life, and I have to remind myself from time to time, is change can happen in an instant. You just make a choice to move in a different direction, right? And, and especially, this really applies to physical space, right? You're standing in one spot and you're moving in one direction, and you decide to turn around and move in a different direction. But you can do that emotionally as well, and you can do that with narrative right? You just decide that the narrative isn't going to affect you or you're going to, you choose a new narrative. And so I just sort of want to bring that up. Like we have to a certain extent control over the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. And the more work you do on yourself, inner and outer, the easier gaining control of that narrative becomes. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website, Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I don't normally do this, but I had a father reach out to me yesterday. and He wants me to meet with his son. And his son is sitting at home playing video games all day. He's 25. He keeps talking about wanting to meet somebody. But sounds like he's spending all his time online in his room. And his dad's like basically worried about him. And so I'm supposed to go to their house and sit down with him. And I said, does your son know that you're having me come to talk to him? Because the most important thing if he wants to change is he has to want to do this. Right? Like we're not going to be able to push this on him you're not gonna be able to push this on him he's got to want to do it and he's like he wants to well i know that you want him to but like does he really want to and and so i have this like worry that i'm gonna get there and 
and he's not going to know that I'm coming. <laughs> we'll know tomorrow, but, uh, but it's a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. And I have a feeling he's struggling with some of the same things that also a lot of the people maybe on different levels or in different degrees who are listening to this are struggling with. So I think these are great things that you're talking about. I have a bunch of other questions. Well, not a bunch, but a few other questions. I know we're sensitive on time. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I know that you talk a little bit about integrity. So I'm wondering if you could talk about personal integrity and how people can live with more integrity and just some of the benefits people might experience with living with more integrity. So sort of define it for us and, and then talk about what is the payoff. Sure. This is one of my, my favorite topics and it's one of my most struggled with topics. So it's sort of late in the year now. It's, and in the beginning of this year, it felt like my life was falling apart without bearing anyone down with too much detail. In the course of about three weeks or so, a woman I had been dating for a year and a half broke up with me. A business campaign that I was working on fell like 80% short of, of projections. I mean, just a dramatic, dramatic failure. I had to fire a partner uh, because she was lying to me on this campaign. And I, <laughs> I, I had two threats of lawsuit. One was very credible. I, I, I without uh, being aware, was in the wrong. And we were able to resolve this within 24 hours without going to court. Uh, and the other was, uh, it, it was a tactic. You know, that I, I had done nothing wrong legally or morally, but I, I was dealing with a, a difficult person who wanted to threaten to sue me. And again, I, I had no legal exposure there. I was in the clean. But this is three remarkably, and all this is condensed in like three weeks or so. And then also this is relevant to my emotional state, but less relevant to integrity. Somebody who was like an aunt to me died a very difficult, painful death uh, all in three weeks. And for a while, I was just wrecked, entirely wrecked. You know, I could barely function in the world. I was crying a lot, et cetera. And I called a mentor of mine. And this mentor is very, very, very smart, very, very successful. He just uh, sold the company for $50 million or so. And I had told him, I, I, I was like, hey, look, all these bad things just happened to me. What the hell is happening? Oh, and the other thing that happened is I, I have an impingement in my rotator cuff, which is actually a somewhat serious injury. It requires like six months to a year of um, uh, physical therapy. And I asked my mentor, I was like, what's going on here? And I expected my mentor to approach me with, with sympathy and be like, oh my gosh, Jason, I'm so bad. I'm so sorry. All these bad things are happening. It's not really your fault. Sometimes like life just falls to shit. And my mentor is thinking about it for a second. He's like, look, I'm going to tell you this directly. All these bad things, except for your, your aunt that died are your fault. And the reason that this happened and your life tends to run very well, Jason, the reason this happened is because you fell way out of integrity, man. Get your life back in integrity and things will start flowing again. But don't sit around feeling as though you're a victim of the universe. You are a victim of yourself. And when he told me that, I, I wanted to reach through the phone and punch him in the face. <laughs> and then once I once I settled down and thought about it for a few hours, I was like, oh, shit, he's totally right. My my ex-girlfriend, lovely, lovely woman. But when she broke up with me, I said, why? And she's like, you know, we, we want different things. She's totally right. We did want different things and we, we weren't compatible. I think we loved each other deeply, but a year and a half showed that we weren't compatible. The business campaign, man, it was a, it, the campaign I was working on, really great product, really great campaign, but not something that interests me. It wasn't a, a use of my time and energy 
that was true to who I was. And I want to get to how this is all relevant to, to other people in just a second. Uh, the, the lawsuit, you know, the one that was dismissed, like we took care of in 24 hours, that was an innocent mistake. The other one, the, the other lawsuit, I had red flags about that deal that I was engaged with all over the place. And I just totally ignored them. I let myself get seduced by this idea of success that, that never manifested itself. And this will be a little bit psycho spiritual for some people, but my mentor's belief in mine at this point is like the reason, so your rotator cuff for people that don't know is in your shoulder. Uh, the reason that I probably was dealing with shoulder pain, which has reduced dramatically since, uh, is because I, I couldn't bear the weight of being out of integrity anymore. So again, let's, let's start with defining terms. Uh, most of us are sort of concurrently living two different lives. There's our inner lives, uh, or inner life of thoughts, feelings, desires, dreams, etc., And then our outer life of what we actually do about that stuff. Now, I'm not a hedonist. I don't think that everybody should like express every thought they have, chase every dream that they have. But for the most part, what we want to do is close the gap between who we are inside, which I think in most cases is our true self, and how we live. You know, if, if you are uh, eating meat, for example, and you, you, for whatever reason, want to be a vegetarian, but you're still eating meat, there's a gap between your desire to be a vegetarian and your action. Likewise, if you're making $150,000 as a consultant, but your, your, your true dream in life is to be a writer and you're not doing anything about it, there's a huge gap between your dream in life being a writer and your execution in life, your being a consultant. So to me, integrity is really closing that gap so your inner world of thoughts, feelings, desires, dreams is closely mirrored in the outer world of your behaviors, your actions, your relationships, how you spend your time, how you spend your energy. Now, the hack for bringing these two worlds together largely is to stop lying. This is another conversation that makes people uncomfortable. The simple truth is this. All of us are lying all the fucking time to ourselves, to the people around us, etc. And by the way, for the people who react to that by thinking, I never lie, bullshit. The problem here is awareness. The problem is you're lying to yourself and you haven't picked it up. It is a sort of adaptive, protective behavior for us to lie. But what we can do, you had mentioned earlier, Chris, a lot of times you make a joke to hide. What we can do is is when we notice ourselves being a liar. And, and when I say lie, I don't just mean somebody says to you, how much money do you make? And you make $50,000 and you tell them, oh, I make $100,000. That type of lie. That is a type of lie that one shouldn't eliminate. But what we mostly do is we, we, we blur things for other people. They say, um, how are you today? And you're fucking miserable. And you say, oh, I'm, I'm okay. Thanks. Now, if this is just a transact a conversation with a barista at the coffee shop, uh, it's a social script. You shouldn't necessarily answer that perfectly honestly. But if a close friend of yours calls and says, hey, man, how you doing? I, I know it's been tough for you. And you wish you were up on, on the up and up. So you say, oh, I'm on the up and up. But in truth, you're still struggling. You should. Tell your friend and say, hey, you know, in truth, I'm struggling. It's uncomfortable for me to say that. So you start eliminating the lies from your life. And suddenly the, the gap between who you are inside your true self and who you are on the outside starts to starts to decrease. And, and, and you fund yourself in much more integrity. Now, integrity is difficult. The more you've been surrounding yourself with lies, the more you've been out of integrity, the harder it is to close that gap. And you're going to end up having some uncomfortable conversations with other people. You're going to have uncomfortable conversations with yourself. But almost categorically, the price is worth the cost. Now, 
I, people listening to this will believe that it's a coincidence in my life. And if, if that's so, that's fine. But what happened, you know, my mentor told me, Jason, you're, you're way out of integrity. This is why all these bad things are happening. I, I sat with that for a little while. I thought about why I was out of integrity. And then when I, I, I came back into life, a more authentic version of myself, two things happened concurrently. One, I had the singular best day in revenue in my business that I had had in several years. I mean, just this sort of killer day because I realigned my business operations with my quote unquote truth. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I started dating a phenomenal woman who was a much, much, much better match for me. And these types of results are not atypical. It's difficult to get in integrity and to live authentically. But when you do, and again, I don't mean to get too spiritual here, though I am like fairly spiritual, fairly woo in my personal life. Uh, you step more into the flow of who you actually are. You step more into the flow of the universe and all the stuff that's outside of your flow just gets cast away. You don't invest any emotional energy, any time into it, any stress into it. All the time, energy, stress is invested in the stuff you actually give a shit about. And that creates this sort of aura, this sort of focus, this sort of orientation so that you just get sped up. Will there be speed bumps? 100%. Will you fall out of integrity? Absolutely. It's the practice of recovering from the speed bumps. It's the practice of coming back to your true self. And the last thing to keep in mind here is that your true self is a moving target. You, you know, if you want to go deep, you're a guy, you're a gal, uh, who you are today at the end of 2018 should be very different than who you were 10 years ago. If you're not, you're not growing correctly. So you, periodically things will fall apart. And I, I, my wish for you is that you either have this adaptive behavior of like saying, oh, you know what? I, I just made a joke. That's me being defensive. This is going to be uncomfortable for me, but let me tell you the truth about the situation. Or you're like me, you got this, you got this mentor who doesn't mind slapping you in the face every now and then so that you can recalibrate as the new, better version of yourself. Well, I think both comes up, right? You have to be internally aware of the things and patterns that you behave in and self-correct and also be aware of what are the external signs from the universe or the people around you or whatever that things aren't working, right? And use the example of a physical injury, right? And so I was thinking about how guys sometimes get physically injured working out. And you'll see this in the gym. You go in the gym and guys are trying to lift more weight than they have the capacity to lift, for example. And then they hurt themselves because they're not being honest with themselves about the type of shape that they're in. They're worried too much about what people think around them or what they think about themselves and trying to give off this impression that they're strong or that whatever. And, and what happens is they end up injured. And I know notice that as I age, uh, that my body just can't do some of the things that it used to do. I try to trick myself into believing that I can do some of the things that I do. And I'm a pretty active guy. Like I literally will go out and uh, ride my bike, like not for fitness, just like ride around. And I'll do that all day long. I'll run from between errands and sit in the park and read and ride some more. And at the end of the day, I've ridden 15 or 20 miles or I'll jump on my skateboard and roll around between errands. I'm just like super active guy. But I've noticed more recently, well, in the winter, I crashed my skateboard, really could barely use my hand for about six months. And I came back and I'm like, I need to get back in shape. And I'm noticing this time around my body, one, I'm just still getting in shape. I still have to let my ego go and, and realize that like, I can't do some of the things that I could do before I got hurt. And second, as I get older, I just can't do some of the things that I used to be able to do. And so 
that doesn't mean I can't do other things like to continue to stay active. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I'm in the process of trying to get back into shape. Basically, essentially that's where I'm going because when I hurt my hand, I literally could first, I couldn't even open a jar and then I couldn't do a push up for seven months or something. And so I was working out extremely hard for a few months and I wasn't leaning out and it wasn't until I started dieting that suddenly like I'm starting to get my weight back to sort of what I think is like a healthier body mass for myself. And the funny thing is like, I knew what I needed to do. Like I knew I needed to exercise uh, in moderation and I needed to eat healthy. And as soon as I did those things, immediately the system started working. And what I was doing instead was refusing to eat healthy or eat the types of foods that I knew I needed to eat because I was stress eating or whatever, because I, I was still dealing with sort of injury and other things going on. So I was refusing to eat healthy. And then I was working out so much that my body just ached every single day and I was ripping it apart and not getting a chance to heal. So what I'm getting at is like, I knew what I needed to do and I was, was not being honest with myself about what that was. And as soon as I was honest with myself, uh, because sometimes we have to go out and seek out what we need to do. But in this case, I knew, I knew what I needed to be doing. And as soon as I was honest with myself, and I started doing those things. It started working. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? It is crazy. And and I'm using that example of fitness, but I think that you have some really some really awesome points. Something else I had a question about is you talked about sort of feeling shitty, right? And there's a lot of advice that says I remember a big social media guru, Grant Cardone, and early like in my late teens, early twenties, I was at an event and Grant Cardone was speaking way before he was as famous as he is now. And he used to say okay, well, when somebody walks into the room, uh, they're going to ask you what your day is like. And you can just say, oh, it's okay. Or my day's going shitty. But instead, what I want you to tell them is it's extraordinary. It's amazing. It's awesome. Right. And so there's like this inauthenticity about that. But something else though actually sort of worked. Like what happened is I started doing that and then people responded back to me more positively. And, and this sort of had this ping pong effect like it started affecting me on a day-to-day basis. And I literally started to feel better in certain ways. And there's a superficial level to that. But at some point, like it did create a more permanent change, right? And in contrast, there can be, if you're using strategies like that, there can be an element that's inauthentic. Let's say that somebody asks you how your day and you're like, you're constantly like, my day fucking sucks. Life sucks. It's shitty. Now that affects people around you in a more negative way and sort of that perpetuates, right? So how, I guess I'm interested what your thoughts are on this idea and if there is merit in either of them or both of them in some capacity or how does somebody break out? Like let's say somebody says, I, like they're feeling shitty and they're telling everybody that their day is shitty and they're not feeling well and it's sort of perpetuating that. How do they break out of that? Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, there, there's a tension between this idea of that I, I had cited earlier of sometimes external behavior inspires internal change or authenticity inspires internal change. And I, to some degree, you want me, I think, to resolve that tension. And I, I think I'm just going to amplify it. Is it, it. There's no user manual for being a human. I, I mean, we can't even get doctors or nutritionists to agree on what the healthiest diet 
for a human being is. This is sort of a simple thing. Some will compa- like compellingly argue uh, veganism plus you know certain supplements. Others will compellingly argue uh, paleo, which is sort of in many ways the opposite of being a vegan. Uh, the, the truth is that there's no right answer. What I would ask anyone that engages with my work or, or your work for that matter is to try a bunch of shit. If, if, if an idea on this conversation resonates with someone, try it and see how it goes. I am not personally a fan of lying and, and telling people that you're fantastic when you're feeling like shit. I think a much better move is, is to be honest and be like, you, you know, I'm not doing that well. But if you're going to take the the approach of being honest along with that, you also got to take a, some personal responsibility for yourself and knowing that while you can't exist in isolation, no change happens in a vacuum, that also like your well-being, physical and mental, is your responsibility. And if you've been feeling like shit for five or 10 days, hopefully one of your friends is a good enough friend to say, Hey, you know, we've been focused on how you felt like shit for the past, not five or 10 days, but three, four months. Maybe we should shift our focus on some stuff that will make you feel better. Or if you don't have friends skilled enough, you do that for yourself. But the best thing I can say is like, look, try a whole lot of different things. You can run around saying, I'm fucking fantastic when you're feeling like shit. And maybe that works. I mean, Chris, it sounds like that produced positive results for you. If you're the type of person that responds well to that, oh my God, please take it, latch on, move forward, improve your life. Just like if you're the type of person that responds well to a, a paleo diet instead of vegan or a vegan diet instead of paleo, oh my God, figure out what diet's best for you and, and move forward. So I don't know that I can resolve the tension, but I, I, I encourage anyone to be a student of themselves and, and curious about themselves and their experience in life. I mean, I think it's a great answer. How I'm going to respond to that is for myself, there's one answer at any given time, right? I, th- I think at that phase of my life, being a guy in my early 20s, at that phase, and I'm not generalizing this guys in the early 20s, but at that phase of my life, it was really effective. It was like a catalyst that allowed me to bring my life to, I, I would argue, like really significant milestones. Like I moved and was able to do things that like I never did because of that sort of emotional charge. But there are other points in my life where it was not a tool that was going to work. And it was more important to sort of peel back the scabs and see what it is that I was suppressing. And I'll use this as an example. I'll use a sports example. That might be a better kind of analogy. There's sort of times where I feel like you're going to be in in great shape and you're going to be ready to just play. And there's times where you're going to have to work through an injury and you don't have the luxury of being able to work through the injury and wait till you're in the right type of shape. And I actually heard uh, in basketball, this last basketball season, one of the superstars was talking about an injury that he had like, and how it affects him. And, and he said, well, look, like you were in the playoffs at this point in the year, everybody has some form of injury, right? And we, but you still have to play and somebody's still got to win, right? Or something to that effect. And the way that I'm going to respond is I agree with you. I think that different tools are appropriate for different times. I mean, I think it's much more important to live a life of integrity, but sometimes you're, you're just going to have to pull yourself together for a few moments, right? You're having a bad day. You have to go up and you have to give a speech. Like you're going to have to figure out how to function. I once had an acting teacher. I took this acting conservatory just sort of for fun and self-development. And it was really amazing. And the acting teacher said, there's going to be these moments where you're just going to be absolutely in the moment and you are just going to be completely present and it's just going to feel right. 
But for a good percentage of your career, you're, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to have moments where you're just going to have to figure out how to create tools to get by. But when you do that, like we do that in our emotional lives, I think you still have to go back and resolve these issues because they stack up. And that sort of leads me to another idea that I had. And I recently had a conversation with one of our coaches and we were talking about Zelda of all things. <laughs> and I, I don't play, I don't play a ton of video games, but every couple of years I run across a, a video game that like I just veg out for a couple of weeks and with some level of consistency play it. And the last Zelda game, like I really liked it. I just liked the, it was so much fun to play this like epic hero game. And it came up in conversation recently with coaches. And I said, you know, when you're playing Zelda, if you go too far from like the part of the map that you start, then you end up fighting these like super hard bosses. He used the word bosses, but like these super hard characters and they just fucking kill you. <laughs> like uh, they're just like too powerful for for you based on your current level in the game. And so what do they make you do? They make you go out and upgrade the amount of hearts or your, your capacity to take damage. Uh, they make you go out there and, and earn coins or whatever the equivalent to coins to go out and upgrade your armor sometimes you find armor but you increase your your armor your ability to protect yourself you increase your weapons your ability to fight but what happens is slowly you increase your capacity to take on bigger burdens or to take on stronger challenges and i think one of the challenges in life is i use the example of um grant cardone advice and i don't know what advice he's giving now but at that time i had got kicked out of the house. I was 18 years old. I had my first real career job and I wasn't really ready for it. It was a sales job and I had to figure out tools that would allow me to sort of like level up. And that was what I, it was a sales seminar that I attended with him. Like in this case, I'm, I'm going to say my enthusiasm allowed me to get by in some situations where I probably was not ready to be. Because people were just like, I like this guy's enthusiasm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but later on, I think that it got me in trouble because I got into situations where I didn't have the capacity or I wasn't ready to be. And so that's where I tie into this idea of authenticity. Like it is very important to recognize, like if you are in a, a place where you're not feeling that great, life is off. Even if life was better five years ago or 10 years ago or six months ago, you're at a point in your life where you need to take a few steps back and adjust yourself for the environment you're in. Scale back to the environment you're in. Work on yourself. Build up and get that armor or a new sword or hearts, right? Or stamina or whatever. Do the self-care and self-love. And then as you build up that capacity, you might want to move into that next territory because you're curious or you're ambitious or you're excited or whatever. But just give yourself the time and patience. It, like it will happen. Just focus on the foundations. I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but it's something that came up in a meeting with our coaches and they all started laughing. But I think that they did resonate with. Oh, yeah. I love that. I, I never knew there was such depth in Zelda. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> I thought I was just wasting my time, but I was uh, like unconsciously writing my future book. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I do agree with what you just said. I think that different tools are appropriate for different times in your life. I think that's a really sharp observation. Yeah. And I also want to go back to your point and just make people understand that it's okay that you're not ready to level up. 
right? Like just focus on the self-care or where you're, the level you're at now and understand, okay, like just because the person next to you, your friends are there or the people you read about in newspapers, like that's one of the most important lessons I've learned about life is that when I was younger, I wasn't conscious of time, right? Like I wasn't conscious that like over time I would accumulatively gain experiences and I would sort of level up automatically in certain ways like at least with experiences and life and depth like i couldn't do that i wouldn't be able to do this podcast and provide the depth that i provide now 10 years ago or 20 years ago and and hopefully tomorrow or six months or 10 years or 20 years from now that will increase right and but that idea i i was so in such a hurry to get to where i wanted to go even when i didn't know where i was going I think I wish I would have been more aware. Sometimes you need to sort of hack the system, but I think what you're saying is really important. So I really want the people who are listening to this to understand that it's okay to be wherever you're at and understand that you'll get somewhere else later. Yeah, and if you have a growth mindset, it's it's almost inevitable if you're oriented towards improving yourself, improving others, that you are like that you do get to become a better version of yourself in the not so distant future. The, the mistake I make around that is I sometimes to a fault interest in like building something in my near midterm future without ever pausing and and to build something oftentimes requires like noticing the ways that I am ill-equipped or or the ways reality is ill-equipped without ever really pausing and thinking about like, man, you made some incredible growth in the past five years. You should celebrate that. Oh yeah. I'm totally guilty of this. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm absolutely guilty of this. There's definitely times where I've, I was beating up myself and, friends have said like, what are you talking about? Like the stuff that you accomplished is amazing, right? Like you've done things that so many people I know dream about and you just, you don't even consider them like you're, you're crazy. And, and I think all of us have elements of that in our life. That's a very, very great point. Um, I want to move to the next question, which is, and we've started again, also begun to get into this, but on your blog, you talk about getting through difficult times and using suffering to your advantages. For people who might be going through a rough time, any other insights or advice can you offer? Yeah, this this is a hard one for a lot of guys. It's a hard one for me. But the the first step in the difficult time is like, holy shit, lean on your friends. Like I was talking earlier in this conversation about when my life fell apart in the beginning of this year. I was all of my close friends' neediest friend for several months. Like I I would like show up at their house and stay with them for a couple of days. I'd let them pay for all the meals. I would call them up and sort of talk about like, hey, X, Y, and Z is happening in my life without really spending too much time talking about what's happening in their life and let them comfort me. There's sort of this implicit agreement in these types of relationships that I will work to get better and not be needy forever. And also that when they need to be needy, that I will be there for them. So that that is like number one is like lean on your fucking friends big time. Very, very little. And be honest and authentic and show up. Very little will help heal that more than being held by people you love in in your darkest moments. I think that with pain and suffering, you know, again, using, using the beginning of the year as an example, when my aunt died, I had nothing to do with that. Like that's, that's life. But with the business not going well and the relationship not going well, I had a lot of agency in that. And it's important to distinguish between those two types of pain. You know, if you're dealing with pain, Chris, you were talking about like your hand wasn't really healing because you weren't training appropriately. You weren't eating appropriately. 
If you're dealing with pain or setbacks that are your fault, you got to harness your behavior to sort of fix that so that you are back in integrity and that you will not re-experience the same pain again. Many, many, many of us just sort of like go through these cycles of, of causing chaos in our life in the exact same way time and time again. So slowing down and, and asking, do I have agency in this? Is there something for me to learn here? And really meditating on that or journaling in it or unpacking it with a friend can make a big difference. And then the other things that I would say are like, you know, particularly if you're grieving like a relationship or a failed business, this is not my idea. This is Guy Winch's idea. Guy, Guy's a psychologist. I don't know him personally. I just like his material. If you're grieving something difficult, uh, write in your phone a list of like all the ways that your ex-girlfriend was bad for you and all the stuff you're, you're thrilled to not have to deal with anymore, your ex-boyfriend. If a business failed, write about in your phone like all the shitty parts of the business that you don't want to deal with anymore. All that stuff because the mind will focus on the pain and the addictive quality and the withdrawal quality. So when you can shift your focus to like, oh, here's some of the good stuff that's happening, you're being very honest and you're just sort of counterbalancing what the mind is naturally doing, which is kind of suspending you in pain. And then if you can, slowly start piecing things back together, you know, focus on sleep, on exercise, on friendships, on doing good work. And it, it passes. I, I mean, every time when I'm in the shit, somebody tells me like, hey, don't worry, things will get better. I, I kind of want to punch them. But it, it's it's true. Things will get better, especially if you're the type of person that listens to podcasts on how to improve yourself and, and you actually take those steps. So that's that's how I work with pain. I And again, I, I'm becoming a bit of a broken record, but I would encourage people if needed to lean on, on, on a, not just friends and family, but also mental health professionals, which can make a huge difference. They have made a huge difference for me. I, I think that's great advice. It's incredibly sound. I started thinking about the mythology around the phoenix, right? The phoenix uh, dies and then sort of is reborn, right? And as human beings, we do this throughout our lives, right? Like I'm, I just have drinks with a, a friend of mine later this week and he's a younger guy. And when I say younger guy, he's mid-20s. And like I, I noticed a lot of times he'll talk about how being a, a star football player when he was younger or um, some of these other things that he did that gave him self-esteem and and value from the people around him. But those times have passed, right? Like he's now out of school. He's not in the, he's not playing pro football. Um, I think a lot of pro football players or pro athletes have the same challenge. Um, but also other people have this challenge. I think I feel like my mom had this challenge when her kids started leaving the nest, right? And so you have, you're validated for something. And then what happens is that part of life dies or changes and you have to be reborn. And this is just part of life. It's more obvious when you're growing up and you're just like, I graduated first grade and next year I got a second grade. Right now I'm a second grader. Like I had all summer to like for the first uh, year self to like die and then re be reborn as a second grader. But the idea, I mean, it happens in our life, right? Like we get good at something and then we lose some part of ourselves and we can no longer be that person. And so we have to be reborn. And I think that this is, an important uh, like sort of mythological symbol and it's because there's there are important lessons that can be stolen or taken from it do you see where i'm going with this yeah i i love the image of the phoenix i mean we we don't have rituals anymore to demarcate one phase of life ending and a new one beginning so it, it just ends up being this sort of like catastrophic collision of two different lives lived by one human for a little while 
and pausing to acknowledge like, okay, I'm letting go of this stuff that no longer serves me. I'm forgiving. I'm, I'm whatever, whatever it is you got to do dealing with this pain so that I can step into something better is really fucking valuable. One thing I always like to do when I'm closing out a phase of my life, whether it's a relationship or a business or a new city or whatever, uh, is write about it and then like go burn the document that I wrote about it in. Yeah, I think that is good advice. So it's sort of like you get it out of your system and then it allows you to cleanse to a certain extent. Yeah, and there's like a specific, I mean, a, a, a different friend will go and when he finishes something, he'll take himself to like a really nice, like high end bar and have, buy a bottle of champagne and drink the bottle himself. But I think the important part is that like, which I, right, I think is insane. Uh, he loves it though. Uh, but you've suddenly created a ritual for yourself and something that really stands out that only, you know, I never, uh, I never go outside and burn 20 pages of paper except for that ritual. My buddy never really drinks an entire bottle of $200 champagne on his own except for that ritual. So if you're listening to this, think about things that you could sort of milestones or deaths. Think about this idea. Think about rituals that you can create for yourselves and your friends. And um, because there's definitely a therapeutic element for that. There's like a sense of closure and rebirth. And I, I want to have one more question for you and then we'll wrap. Uh, and this is on leadership. So, if somebody's listening to this, especially younger guys, I feel like, or gals, they want, everyone wants to be a leader. They're on the come up, right? I'm coming, I'm coming up. It's funny. I had a roommate who was younger at one point in my life. And I remember thinking there will always be wars because there's always going to be 18 year old men. <laughs> and, and, and the idea behind that was just that the next crop of guys is coming up as the older crop is in power or in age. And the younger guys, whether they're ready for it or not, want the respect and power and esteem and everything that comes with it. And they're sort of oftentimes willing to take bigger risks. They want to fight. They want to get more aggressive. They try to use the tools that they have available in order to, uh, in order to try to get that power and then find out that they're not ready for that power. Right. And so in some certain ways I was, what I was talking about earlier about myself is the same type of thing, right? Like I was picking up tricks and strategies to try to come up. And then I started, got to a place where I was like doing a lot better than most people my age from the outside, but I just, I didn't have the capacity. I wasn't ready to do the things that I wanted to do that would have provided my life with the most meaning. So this leads into the final question, which is really about leadership, right? So like guys want to be leaders or gals want to be leaders. People listening to this want to be leaders, but maybe they're not ready to be leaders or maybe they are. But the question is how can people become better leaders and how can people live with purpose and meaning? I mean, let's just sort of start with that. It's funny. We, I mean, I'm in my mid thirties and I still fall victim to this, but we have somehow societally conditioned young people, 18 to 25 to believe that they can be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Tim Ferriss or Steve jobs. And that if they haven't achieved that by 26, then they're failures, which is insane. You know, most of us do not have that extraordinary leadership ability, that extraordinary innovative ability or luck. Or right, yes. Uh, oh my God, this is a different conversation. But like, <laughs> I luck plays such an insane factor in success, and it is never discussed. We we go to the successful, we say, "How did you do it?" They reverse engineer their path. We try to follow that path. One in most cases, the super successful were being authentic to themselves, so us following their path won't work. You know, Richard Branson is a, a, a true daredevil. You, you becoming a daredevil does not guarantee success. And when they reverse engineer their success. They totally miss all the moments when they were just insanely lucky. 
And the few successful people who do talk about this, when we listen to them, we, we discount the factor that luck plays in it. So first of all, like good, great, great side note, Chris. I really appreciate that. But as far as leadership goes, I mean, at, at its core, look, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think people like distilling leadership to such a simple principle, but it, it really boils down to something simple. If you are the one in the room who can get other people to behave how you want them to behave, then you're the leader. I, I mean, at its core, leadership really is about persuasion and influence. So to some degree, if you just want to be a leader, you can study that. Now, I, it, I, I would caution against influence for influence's sake. Again, as a child, as a professional magician, I have a much better understanding of how to deceive the mind and manipulate the mind than the average person. And that seeped into my, this is why I have such a strong orientation towards honesty. My ability with understanding people's perception and the ability to manipulate it seeped into my personal life. And I like, I would be able to influence my friends without them understanding what was going on. And it was miserable. This is the most fucking isolating thing in the world. It's why I'm so bullish on honesty and uh, integrity and authenticity and just real talk. But moving backwards a second, you know, influence for its own sake tends to be pretty vapid. And it also tends to be complicated. If you're 18, you're not going to be the most influential person in your company. It's just almost a 0% chance of that happening. But when we think about what our world needs and what type of leader our world needs, then start stuff gets really, really, really interesting. So when I think about leadership, what I encourage people to do is to conceive of leadership as the practice of proactively improving other people's lives. And in other words, a good leader, as I define it and I hope other people do, is someone who proactively improves the lives of others. That means that you're using your influence, whether it's you're young and you're physically able or you have money or you're good with words or you've accumulated a lot of followers on social media. You're using that influence that you've gained to improve other people's lives. This could be giving them five bucks. It could be teaching them how to build a house, whatever. Doing so will do a couple interesting things. One, it will grow your leadership ability, your, your influence, because the more good stuff you do for other people, the more interested they will be in connecting with you and following you and engaging in your businesses, engaging in your, in your, in your projects. So suddenly you're sort of naturally growing your leadership ability. But the other cool thing that happens psychologically, you know, when, 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 when we're trying to improve ourselves, we tend to become self-obsessed. And that type of rumination of just focus purely inwardly, while that is in moderation, essential for growth, it gets toxic really fucking quickly. I, I mean, if you're just too inside yourself, you're going to become miserable. But when you orient yourself towards helping other people, this sort of Zen thing happens where you start to get happier. Your network improves. Your happiness improves. Your quote unquote luck will improve because you have more people fighting for your best interest because you've been fighting for their best interest. So really, you know, leadership at its core, the way I see it, it's about influence. I don't think that is a fruitful path on its own, but accumulating and sharpening influence and beginning influence just by improving other people's lives, just a little tiny bit. Oh my God. If you do that, you're, you're 18 or 25, listen to this now and you do it just for a couple of years, your life will transform. You do it for the entire life. I, I the impact you will have made on our world is, is, is palpable. And the impact you will have made in your life is, is palpable at that point. So that's, that's how I think people go about being a good leader. It's what I try and do in my own life. Yeah, I, I love this. Something else I heard recently on a podcast that I also liked, and maybe you can fit in here somewhere, or maybe you have thoughts on it. This guy just like was really focused on the idea of 
focusing on yourself, right? And this idea that the way we discussed it or came to agreement was on competency. You get really good at something by just sort of focusing on that. And the next step is discipline. You're you're consistently focused on on that, right? So maybe it's uh, you're focused every day on getting really good at math <laughs> or, or and so every day you do you work through more problems and you continue to build uh, level up going back to my Zelda example or maybe it's business right every day you're focused on improving the quality of your business right or continuing to grow and learn and and learning to become aware of mistakes and addressing them and you continue to build your capacity as a business person an entrepreneur or maybe it's as an employee maybe it's as a husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or dad or or mother but we have all these different relationships in our life and different sort of interests but you keep working on them and there's sort of a discipline to that and what happens is what he was describing was as you start to become more competent in that area people will begin to mirror you and leadership happens naturally Yes. One of my most successful instances of leadership ever was when I, I decided, I think it was 2015, to go the entire year without drinking. And I did not try to persuade anyone at all to do that. I just told my friends about it. I wrote a post on Facebook saying, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And like a shocking number of people signed up and did that. And like I was being public about what I was doing. I was doing it for myself. I understood how it benefited people, but I didn't push it on anyone. And it, it, it stuck. It helped people. It's a different idea of leadership, right? It's like people are thinking when you, what I'm going to describe as a less mature idea of leadership that I'm just going to force it. It's how many people I follow, uh, how many people are going to listen to me or how many people I can influence without focusing on nurturing themselves and getting to a point where it just happens naturally right? Like you have something to offer the world. You've been doing math problems for a long time. And then people who need to get better at math are going to naturally gravitate towards you. I'm using the math example, but it could be anything. You're good at cooking. You're good at like people who are interested in whatever it is that it doesn't matter what it is, but leadership for the sake of leadership. I don't think it's really that healthy in, in certain ways. I mean, there are points where you're going to need, like we described earlier, tricks or tactics to sort of get through a situation you're not ready but there's an unexpected death in your family or your house burns down or you lose your job or something you get sick some in your family gets sick you're going to have to get through that situation but this more organic form of leadership i think is more sustainable and that leads to like a couple other things that i really want to mention one is you mentioned sort of richard branson and mark zuckerberg and one of the things that i've observed about them is they might have been incredibly ambitious, or we could use like Jeff Bozos. You can use anybody who's been really financially successful. But one of the things that they do really well is they listen to, it goes back to the same things you were talking about earlier. They're aware, or the people around them are aware of what is working and they nurture that, right? And when I said luck earlier, like Mark Zuckerberg happened to be born at the right time and went to the right school and happened to be a computer programmer who knew how to build certain types of applications that had, like it could have been if he went to a different school or he would have was in a different environment or picked another interest or his family helped him pick another interest. So much of that was just luck. But once he got into that situation, he was able to be aware of what was working and nurture that. And his company made a lot of mistakes. If you look at any company, look at Apple, they've made a lot of mistakes. You look at any really great company and we drill that down further to any great life, um, then you're going to find that people make mistakes, but there is 
oftentimes some level of consistent awareness where people are listening to what works and they're following that. So instead of trying to be like somebody else, maybe they do that, maybe they have models, but they're nurturing the opportunities that are in front of them. And going back to the Zelda example, I'm really stuck in the Zelda example, like uh, you level up and then what happens is you build your business or you build your relationships, like you have better friends, you have more friends, you have more loving friends, your social network has like people have more capacities, you have more capacities, you have more financial resources, then you take on the next challenge. It's like when we try to drift too far into these areas that we're not ready for and we're not being aware, we're trying to be somebody else, we're trying to do what somebody else did that they were uniquely positioned to do because of luck or biology or relationships or whatever, then we try to force things and it doesn't work. And uh, there's lots of business books around this idea, but I was thinking about that as you were you were using those examples. It goes back really, I think, in my opinion, to the things you were talking about earlier about sort of awareness and listening to yourself and not forcing things. Is there anything else you want to sort of share with the audience in conclusion? I appreciate that question. We covered a lot of ground, man. I, I, I feel content. How do you feel? I feel great, man. I, I loved having you on here. I think you have some great ideas. We're going to put some links in the description of the podcast and on the Craft Christmas website so that people can find out about you more easily. Um, but thank you again for taking time to talk with me and hopefully we can chat again soon. I'd love that. Thanks, Chris. It's been a pleasure. You're the man. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.